Welcome to the Midwest Film Nerds Podcast. I'm Alex. I'm Willie. And I'm Nick. Uh, this week we're going to spend a little time talking about what we've been watching recently. We're going to discuss some film news from the past week, do a full film review, and finally get into some food for thought provided by Willie. This week we're doing it a little differently. we got a retro review, something on my personal list of shame. We're going to review Michael Mann's Heat from 1995. Mm-hmm. Something that both of these guys have been telling me to watch probably since I met you. So. Yeah, Thank long you, time. Long time. All right. So um, let's start off with what you, what we've been watching. I think I'm going to start off first. Uh, I, I kind of spent a little time in the in the indie movies this this past week. Uh, first off, I caught a an early screening. Well, it's kind of early. The movie's out in limited release right now, but... I caught uh, Mike Birbiglia's Sleepwalk with me, which um, it's adapted. Mike Birbiglia is a comedian, and he does, he kind of found his com- comedic voice in doing one-man shows, and they're kind of based off of his life. They're, I think he keeps pretty true to his actual life with them, too. And so the movie the movie kind of came out of that. I think Ira Glass of uh, This American Life saw the, the one-man show, and was like, we need to do something more with this movie. And so, you know, Mike Birbiglia has been working on it with him for for the past two, three years, and, and the movie's finally seeing daylight, and it's gotten some of the best reviews out of all the... It went to Sundance, and it, it did really well, and just a lot of good buzz coming off of it. Um, as for who's in it, you got Mike Birbiglia, you got a bunch of comedians, uh, Mark Maron's in it, um... Is it a doc or is it a narrative? No, it's it's a narrative. Hmm. And and uh, I'm trying to think, Lauren Ambrose is in it. She's the only like somewhat recognizable actor I think that you would know. And then I think his parents are are somewhat famous too. But I don't I don't actually know them personally. But well, I obviously don't know them personally. But the movie was really really good, and it's kind of it kind of brings you in right in the beginning because it starts with him kind of talking to the camera and it was originally like supposed to be really Ferris Bueller style where like he would be in the situations and be talking to the camera about you know these things that are going on around he'd be like you know my mom's angry about this and my dad's angry about this and my girlfriend's angry about this and now we're having dinner and then they'd go and talk they kind of took that out of most of the scenes and and all of the actual narrative is kind of wrapped around with him talking to the camera, like on his way. He's in he's in the car for some reason, and he's talking to the camera about like where he's at in his life, and you know, and and all these different things. He's like, there's one point in the movie where he stops, and he's just like, I want to remind you here that you guys are on my side for this part of the story. <laughs> but it's it's it was really really well done, really well shot, great performances. It's a very entertaining story. There's a lot of uh, it's very, it's not a very heavy movie, but there's a lot of heavy topics talked about. Like, he's kind of at this point in his life where where he has this girlfriend that he's been dating for eight years, and his sister, his younger sister, gets engaged, and it kind of gets them to start thinking about like, you know, we're not talking about whether or not we want to get married. What's wrong with our relationship? And everything kind of springs off from there. And it's about him developing his comedy career. But all in all, it's very good. It starts at the Main Art Theater this Friday, the 14th. And uh, certainly worth checking out. The other thing I wanted to talk about is... uh, Quite a while ago, I caught wind of a documentary called Side by Side, which um, Keanu Reeves produced, and it's basically him going around and talking to some of the biggest directors in Hollywood about... 
the digital, the film to digital transition. And a lot of people may not be like interested just hearing that, but I think if you sat down and watched it, you'd realize that you're a lot more interested in it than you thought you were. But it's very cool because it's not, you don't come out of the movie thinking, you know, I'm only going to watch movies that are on digital, like, (laughs) or, or the other way. Like it's, you, you don't come out of it thinking anybody who shoots anything on digital is stupid and anything who shoots mm-hmm. anything on film is pretentious. You don't... It, it's nothing like that. They do a really good job of going through and outlining, like, you know, digital is good because you don't have to actually sit there and cut up things of film when you want to edit together. It's all on the computer. You can drag and drop things. It's much more mm-hmm. intuitive to edit things. And then there's the people that say, you know, film is better for, for the fact that, you know, you could get the quality of the picture and and all kinds of different topics. And it's just a very good exploration of the film versus digital debate. And it doesn't color you either but way. But they have, they have viewpoints from directors who prefer You've got, either way. You, mostly they have Christopher Nolan and Wally Pfister. Wally Pfister is Christopher Nolan's director of photography. And mm-hmm. they they're kind of the the people there's a lot of people that are on both sides of the camp but mm-hmm. you know they talk to christopher nolan wally fister steven soderbergh james cameron uh all kinds of different people about an eclectic bunch yeah like like a very wide but they even talked to somebody who's in film school at the time shooting their final project about why you know digital's good for them and and it's just a very interesting look. If you're if you're listening to a podcast called The Midwest Film Nerds, I think it's something that you should at least check out. I personally checked it out on Amazon. Uh, you can do the their Amazon's video on demand. It was only like six bucks or seven bucks, which is nice because you know it's not seeing a theatrical release over here, so it's good to give it some money. But I, it's very worth checking out. So that's side by side. I think it sounds really cool because me and a lot of my friends are always having debates on. Film versus digital, and it's funny because there's very, very few people that fall like, oh, either way, I like them both. It's like yeah. the people that are passionate about one or the other, it's insane levels of passion. Like, you cannot yeah. talk them out of it. And there are people that love a certain one and they acknowledge the other one is, is good for whatever reason, but they always say, oh, I'm not going to convert anybody. And it's like people who love film love film. And they're like, film will last forever, film is the best format, yada, 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 not even necessarily in a pretentious way, just for, like, they just like it for the qualities that it has, and then people who love digital are like, film's dying, and yeah, or a film is dead, it'll be dead within a year, and uh, it's just funny, I think watching it from, uh, does, does he come at it from a fairly objective standpoint? Absolutely, well, here's the thing, is that when you're watching it, and there's people talking about film, you're totally like, yeah, this makes a lot of sense, and it's very, like, film is clearly a good way to go, and then you, you, <laughs> listen to what they have to say about digital, and then you're like, yeah, digital's great. I mean, I don't understand why people aren't... And you kind of flip back and forth like that. So that's one of the great things about it, is that it does kind of remain even keel, where you end the movie, and you're just kind of like, there really I are... Like, I it. sat there sitting. I was like, I was like, there are advantages and disadvantages to both of them. Like, they talk about how Michael Mann, somebody who we'll be talking about in the end here, shot... Uh, he shot Collateral on digital. I think that... Was the second one that he shot on digital, or maybe the first? Miami Vice was the other one. Yeah, Miami. I, I, but I don't Probably know if Miami Vice digital too. I think is it. At least I hope so. Well, it looks like... his first digital movie. Okay, I think yeah. I think it was Collateral, but if that makes sense. It was I either Collateral or Miami Vice. It definitely had a digital look. And he, that's. But it I, worked I forget, for that movie. I forget who brings it up, but they're just like Michael Mann shot Collateral on digital because that's the only way he could get the film to look that way, and that's exactly what he wanted. 
Like you, you don't. With film, it's much harder to get that kind of uh, really um, colorful palette at night. It's without like proper lighting. It's hard to pull that kind of thing out without doing a lot of work. And and digital just made it much easier for him to get what he wanted out of it. So it's it's a very interesting movie to sit down and watch. And you know if if yeah, I want to check it out. Yeah, I think you and and all the people that that you know would probably enjoy it. It would be an interesting thing to watch for all, all the people day. I know. Everybody. You hear that, mom? <laughs> You're watching side by side. <laughs> all right. So what do you what have you been watching lately, Nick? Well, okay. Um, I've been watching. What have I been watching? Uh, I've been watching the X Files a lot on Netflix, which is really interesting because I remember catching a few episodes of it back when it was first airing, and yeah. I was probably like, uh, I was probably like eight, nine years old when my dad used to watch it. And I remember we would occasionally catch like the opening scene when the poor sap of the week gets killed by whatever monster of the week mm-hmm. it is. And I would be freaked out, and my dad would be like, go to bed. <laughs> Me and my brother wouldn't let us stay up and watch it with him. Um, but it's funny watching it now because I don't get it. Like, I don't... I enjoy it, but I know why I enjoy it, because I like sci-fi stuff, and, I mean, we're nerdy, so it appeals. But I don't know why it was so popular. I really... And I was just having this conversation with somebody else earlier today. I don't get why it was such a big show, because it does... It When you're watching, you're like, how was this popular? <laughs> it's cool, and, I mean, it's... It's a little cheesy sometimes the acting, but the lead actors are really good and they they draw you into it and the, the mysteries are interesting and it's I mean it's it's kind of a low budget. It looks cheap even in season two and I'm watching season two now. It still looks kind of cheap and kind of low budget and it gets really out there really fast. Like yeah. in season one, it kind of walks the line of like, oh, are there aliens? Maybe maybe it's aliens. I don't know. And then in season two, they're like aliens. Here they are. Look <laughs> at them. And they show you aliens and you're like, oh, there's aliens. And yeah, it's just kind of funny. I don't get why it was so popular. Popular. I, think I, feel, was... I feel like if it came out today, well, I don't know, because Supernatural is kind of the same way, and Supernatural is pretty popular. Well, I think it was one of those things where it was in a time, it's post-Twilight Zone and The Outer Limits, which were both pretty pretty big at the, at the time of their airing, but they were both kind of gone by the time that X-Files mm-hmm. came on. They were like, you know, people tried to redo Twilight Zone. and, and, and Well, I guess maybe the prime time, or maybe the... The, the demographic that was really watching Twilight Zone were people like my dad and my dad's age who grew up with Twilight. And my and dad they, and my and yeah, my mom loved X-Files. They grew up with Twilight Zone, and so they kind of wanted... There was, there was a hole there that X-Files was filling. Yeah. I could see that. So I think that's... You know, my parents have the first run of six, like, X-Files comics in, like, perfect <laughs> condition, and they're worth, like, $3 on eBay, but... It's just... In <laughs> one a, of those days. I guess days. In, a, in the era of Two and a Half Men, I don't give the average television audience enough credit... Yeah, well, I just think of the way TV was when I was a kid, and there were so many great shows on that everybody watched, yeah. like Friends and Seinfeld and X Files and even Roseanne, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, Alf. <laughs> now, now you get uh, here comes Honey Boo Boo and uh, Toddlers in Tiaras mm-hmm. and all that t- t- kinds of yeah, crap. Yeah, it's reality now. Yeah, we could do a whole episode of this based on like just TV, like yeah. the way TV trends have you know, like in the fifties and that it was like all these like wholesome type shows yep. and then it got into a little now, more sci-fi and then in the 90s it was just sitcom heavy 80s and 90s and now it's just stupid reality i think crap. it's that they've generally found you know we can get cheaper here without sacrificing narrative and that's happened over and over again to the point where they're just like you know people are watching these stupid reality shows with 
little amount of money that we put into it, and then no narrative being written for it, so we don't have to pay writers. Yeah. So there's a really strong you know. wealth of of good TV out there. That's though. true. Mostly on cable. I yeah. It's weird. It's like there's no middle ground anymore. There's like two different just lines going in different directions. They're just like TV is being reduced to its lowest form of like pure idiocracy, like Jersey Shore type stuff. That's reality, which isn't even reality, anyways. It's all scripted. Scripted anyway. Yeah. And then it's going the opposite direction where you have really quality, high-end... Mm-hmm. Oh, I guess there's still middling stuff out sure, there. Like, sure. I caught an episode of Law & Order the other day. I think I said that last week, and I was yeah. like, whoa, it was so bad. <laughs> it was so cheesy. <laughs> and, but it wasn't, like, unwatchable. It was still entertaining. I'd rather just, watch Law & Order than Here Comes Honey Boo Boo any day. Yeah, absolutely. So. I don't even know what that is, but... I've, you don't want to know you're what making, it is. You're not making that up? It's real? No, that's a real show. We're okay. We're going to get off that subject right now. Okay. Dun, dun, but yeah, mostly... That's mostly what I've been watching. It's X-Files. And I've been working my way backwards through my blu-ray collection now trying to watch some stuff and but nothing really to mostly all stuff i've seen before nothing okay. new to report i don't think all righty what about you willie i had a impromptu island movie last night like <laughs> movies that take place on islands it yeah. was totally an accident i was staying the night at my fiance's house <clears throat> and she has a wealth of on-demand selections that i don't have here yeah and um i was going through and i'm like oh the island of dr moreau with Marlon Brando. I haven't seen that since I was in like middle school when it came out. So I popped that bad boy on. And that was pretty much just... I mean, it's actually... I don't know. It's not as bad as the reviews it got back in the day. It's not a great movie, but I, some of the special effects are cool. And yeah. I like the general idea. I think a new Island of Dr. Moore would be pretty sweet with today's effects and with somebody really like horror-oriented directing it. So yeah. with a new time machine Sure, yeah, movie. absolutely. Um, and then that I also I watched, watched not ago. <laughs> what else did I watch? Um, well, Lord of the Flies was my second island movie because I was like, I haven't seen Lord of the Flies. <laughs> and I didn't watch the 1963 one, although that's better. Yeah. I watched the 1990 one or whatever. Yeah. It was funny, though, because as I'm watching it, I thought of you because I realized my, my favorite character, it's my favorite book that I've ever read, like novel, yeah. is Lord of the Flies. My favorite character in the book is Simon. <laughs> okay. And he is played in the movie by... Um, James Badgedale, <laughs> who yeah. is like six years old. That's amazing. And I was like, I did. I, I'm like, I was looking at them to be like, I wonder if these kids are winning. Where I'm like, James Bad, James, James Badgedale. Badgedale. Yes. And then I look on the screen and I'm like, oh my god, it's James Badgedale. So that was kind of fun. He's so good. For those uh, who don't know, James Badgedale captured my heart with season three of Twenty Four when he played uh, Chase. 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 Uh, Jack Bowers. <laughs> Partner, the only season where Jack Bauer has like a legitimate partner, and and one of the better seasons of the show. Yeah, because of James Badgedale. Yeah, so he recently so, dazzled audiences in uh in well limited audiences in Rubicon. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and the Gray. He'll be in the upcoming <laughs> yeah the Gray for two seconds and uh, <laughs> Iron Man three. Yeah, he's a really good actor. Yeah, he's well. Apparently, he started young, and I didn't realize that. Yeah, I didn't realize so, that either. But Lord of the Flies also not as bad as it got. Heat for I mean it changes a lot of things from the book but yeah it's actually a pretty pretty cool movie terrifying yeah. really I read, terrifying I read the book a long time ago I've never really watched we watched snippets of the 60s movie when I was in high school but not much of the the 90s one I've so. never read yeah. the book it's it's intense I think you'd really like it it's just the uh, you can see I mean so many things came from Lord of the Flies I mean Battle Royale which I love that movie yeah. and that yeah, book. Yeah. Um, Lost takes mm-hmm. a lot from Lord of the Flies. I mean, there's countless others, but yeah. Lord of the Flies is really the genesis of that. What happens to man, or in this case, child, yeah. when civilization is gone, as yeah. you know it, you know. God, we gotta watch them. Do we, do we revert to our 
you know, more primitive selves, or do we find a way to rise up and build do something we, new? Do we get back into the civiliz- civilization? It's very interesting. It's very interesting, and it's yeah. got a very cool cameo by uh, Bob Peck from uh, Jurassic Park. Oh hell yes! Yep. So <laughs> anyway, but check it out. It's it's pretty cool actually. All right. Uh, last thing up front here that I want to mention: we are now in iTunes. So if you're listening to this and you didn't get to us in iTunes, go subscribe. But please do. Oh, damn it! I just remembered something else I watched. <laughs> I watched Fantastic Four, 2005. Okay, next. Uh, no. Uh, I'm just <laughs> yeah. It's really not that bad though. It's it's not good. It's not it's not a great superhero movie, but it's very middle. I, I was I didn't have a big problem with it because I saw it after all of the the like super hate for it. But it's certainly not up the to The things it way. does right, it does so right. But the yeah. things it does wrong, it does so so yeah. so wrong. It just yeah. doesn't live up to what it could be. That's the I mean the problem. sequel exactly. is so much worse. The sequel I, is I've easily one seen, of the worst movies I've ever I've seen. Never seen Galactus is a cloud. It's incredibly bad. So, I mean so. I looked over at Alex. <laughs> midway through the movie and there was just one silent tear rolling down his <laughs> cheek and I was like an, an experience we were doomed to repeat when we saw X-Men Origins Wolverine same yeah. thing I glanced over his other favorite superhero just getting absolutely <laughs> butchered on screen and he just same thing tear alrighty well we'll move on to some film news here not a whole lot to talk about this week so we'll probably keep it pretty short uh, Daniel Craig is on for two more Bond films this is Straight out of uh, straight out of the the movie studio's mouth, they they're just kind of like we're gonna do two more with him. I think that was in his original contract was for five, so mm-hmm. he is gonna fulfill that. Which <laughs> is you know what what do you guys think? I'm cool with it. I like Daniel Craig. Yeah, I think it's great. I'm just surprised because he's he's already in his forties. Yeah, hey, and he, he looks fair, Roger he looks Moore was like sixty when he finished those bonds. Yeah, days. but he was. Nowhere near the intensity of James Bond as Daniel Craig is. Agreed. I mean, Agreed. But I think that if if people can buy more in his sixties, all flabby as James Bond, they can buy <laughs> buff Daniel Craig. You know, Craig. Totally. Yeah, it's, it'll be interesting. I mean, he's he looks pretty haggard in Skyfall, which I think is part of his character. Yeah. At that point, but he's it'll be interesting to see how how he ages and if he's gonna keep keep in as good a, as fit as he is. I mean, obviously today the the means and the the training and stuff that actors can do to stay. I mean, like Downey Jr.'s, he's got to be like, what, like 48 or something now, yeah, 47, and he's, and he's still been slender and pretty lean. Yeah. So, it's possible. I think it's sweet. I mean, I love Daniel Craig. As yeah. soon as I saw Casino Royale, I was like, Whoa. Yeah, Casino Royale is the only... I'm a big Pierce Brosnan fan, too. <laughs> <laughs> Casino Royale was really the only Bond movie that really... Like, I, I've seen GoldenEye and maybe one other Pierce Brosnan Mm-hmm. James Bond. Choose I've, your next words carefully. I haven't seen any of the other ones, and it's not that I didn't love GoldenEye. It's just that Casino Royale was the first Bond movie where I was like, okay, this yeah. is like, this can be some pretty taking itself fairly seriously. <laughs> yes, this movie is taking itself fairly seriously, as I'm known for saying for some films. But I, yeah, I think two more, two more movies with, with Daniel Craig is probably a good choice at this point. I'm really curious to see what's going to happen to his character on this one. I mean, where they get... This seems like... Don't talk too much because I haven't seen Quantum Solace yet either. Well, I'm just talking purely about the way this one looks. It looks like everything from the first two is kind of coming to a head. I mean, it looks like some real heavy stuff. That's one thing I like about the the Craig Bond movies is that we're actually getting some over... Overarching. Do so you guys haven't seen Quantum either of you? No. Uh, no, I'm, I want to. It's not that I don't want you to. You are literally one of the few people in my life that said that it's worth watching. I really like it. I haven't seen it. I, 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 mean, I just, I. A lot I of my why. friends do. Well, we'll, we'll resume this when we. I mean, when we do my our, only two friends are here right now. But Skyfall yeah. review. Yeah. When we do our Skyfall Cloud Atlas double feature. Oh yes. 
that'll be quite a week. But anyway, we could always do quantum for like a retro review and talk about. I think it'd actually be a really interesting one because you guys, if you hate it or you like it, it'd be a good discussion. We'll we'll, we'll see. I, all I, right. Yeah. We'll see. Perhaps put it on the table. Um. Maybe. All right. So next up, you can tell that our news is kind of you know wasn't a very newsworthy week, but supposedly we're going to have a director's cut of The Dark Knight Rises on the Blu-ray. Uh, we actually reviewed Dark Knight Rises on our test episode for this podcast, yeah. which you guys are never going to hear because it's two and a half hours long. It was long. the Ben-Hur of our podcast, okay? <laughs> this thing was, yeah, it was pretty lengthy. It was quite a slog, and I was there to live it. So uh, so what do you think? What, Willie, what do you want out of a Dark Knight Rises director's cut? Do you even care at this point? No, I don't I don't see what... what I don't. I don't get it. I, I don't. I mean, we'll see. I'm interested to see what they what they add to the movie or what yeah. they change about the movie. But I'm not like, oh my god, I need a director's cut for that movie. Okay. You know. Fair so. enough. Yeah. What do you think, Nick? I am actually really, really. I hope so. I'm just purely for the experiment because no one has never released alternate versions of his movies. Well, we should say that the reason this is probably happening is that the runtime of The Dark Knight Rises was only cut short at two hours and 45 minutes or whatever it was due to the fact that there was kind of, like, you are limited by the amount of IMAX film that you can put on the reel. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, he was very strict about the fact that you know, only the like when when they were previewing the prologue before Mission Impossible, only movies that were showing Mission Imp- Mission Impossible on film were going to get that preview. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he was very much attuned to making this movie to fit the IMAX format, and that was his heart out. It was like this movie can be this long because that's as much as we can put on one platter. So that's why people think it's probable. It's because of the fact that. You know, he probably shot, and like he did shoot more. He shot some more Bane origin. He shot some good, some some other other scenes here and there that got cut out, that were most likely just for time and the fact that he would want them in there. But I think it'd be great. I mean, like he's he's notorious for not doing any commentaries, not doing yeah. His movies never have a wealth of special features necessarily. They don't have a lot of behind the scenes necessarily. Yeah. Uh and he's never done a director's cut or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, and I, he's such a weird director because he can he can make such a complex movie like Inception and, and do it in a in a fairly long runtime, but do it in a concise way. At least I think so. And Dark Knight Rises felt like it was just all over the place. And maybe I mean yeah. I'm always as long as the movie's good, I'm always down for a longer runtime. Yeah. Like I'm bring it on with Dark Knight Rises. Give me a three and a half hour version one as long as it's sweet. Yeah. So I, if there is a director's cut, I I don't really believe it just based on prior the track record. Yeah, yeah. On the way Nolan is, I think he'll kind of be like, "No, nah, that's the finished product and I'm going to stand by it." But hey, if it does, I'll I'll totally buy it and watch it cuz I'll be really intrigued to see uh how how it shakes down. Yeah. And I'll just say for for our audience, Nolan doesn't like doing the kind of behind the scenes thing because he doesn't want to remove the magic of the movie. He wants the the movie to stand for itself and and to be, you know, he doesn't want you to evaluate it on things that aren't actually on the film and not, not there. So much so that in the Memento uh, special edition, <laughs> if you listen to the commentary, there's a point, like 15 minutes to the end, where the DVD player randomly s- selects an audio track. And he recorded three or four different endings to the commentary that all contradict each other. 
<laughs> so everything, like he's commenting on, on, you know, things at the end of the movie. I won't spoil anything, but he's actually sitting there commenting on it. And you could listen to it one time and never know the fact that there is a point where the the DVD player picks a random track and, you know, you're getting a different version of, of, of the commentary. So, yeah, the fact that there may be a director's cut is very strange, but, you know, I suppose we'll find out. I think it, the Blu-rays do out in December or something yeah, like that. Yeah, it's like, like so. mid-December. Although, the, have you guys watched the uh, Inception Blu-ray at all, the extraction mode? I haven't, mm-hmm. actually. That's actually the first time I've seen him really go behind the scenes a little bit. Now, it's not a a standard making of documentary. It's one of those branching ones. So you're watching the movie, and then they'll they'll, they'll play a scene, it'll shoot off with Nolan or whoever's working on the movie and say, this is how we achieve this look or whatever. So that was kind of cool, and I wish he'd do more, but I understand where he's coming from. Yeah. But I think that the people that don't want the magic ruined aren't going to bother watching that stuff anyway. And you know, it's a real shame because he is one of the few people doing practical effects nowadays. Yeah, and I think young filmmakers could learn a lot from what he has to say. The the fact that I'm not going to get like an in-depth look at the huge rotating cylinder that he made to film the anti-gravity stuff in the hallway in Inception makes me sad. Like I've caught like maybe 20 seconds of that in little featurettes here and there. And it's always amazing looking. Like, it's one of the coolest things. Like, just seeing them turning this huge hallway with Joseph Gordon-Levitt, like, standing in there. Like, he actually did that. He was running through a hallway that was, like, changing direction the whole time. And it, They've got a bit of that on that mode, so yeah, it's worth like, checking out. There's, there's, like, little bits of it, but I, I wish there would I gotta, be, like... I respect his decision so much, but at the same time, it's maddening. It is. Yeah, it the, is. Film, the film nerd in all of us wants to know... Because you get there's also a little bit of that on the Dark Knight Blu-ray where you see how he toppled the uh, the semi. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, the giant piston. Yeah, like he drove a giant piston into the ground and the semi flops over. He didn't even erase the smoke from the piston. You can still I, I see it every time I watch the movie. You can see smoke barreling out of the spot on the bottom of the the like huge like container at the back of the semi <laughs> where there would be nothing smoking anyway. Interesting. But. It's it's very interesting. So I guess that's the reason he doesn't do this thing because he doesn't want me thinking about that when I watch the movie. But you yeah, know. I guess he doesn't want to take you out of it. It's it's not a big deal. I but think it's like the prestige. He doesn't want to give away his yeah, his tricks. Yeah. Just enjoy the trick. Yeah, don't, exactly. Don't look for it. Somebody who can make a movie like the Prestige about magic clearly respects the fact that he doesn't want to reveal. <laughs> respects his the art. Yeah. He's right. got to remember. He's got to remember what it was like though, being a kid and watching movies and just being like, "How did they do that?" and wanting to know yeah. so bad. Yeah. That's yeah. But, you know, so so we'll see with with this Blu-ray if he starts to take a, a wider stance at this kind of thing. So Yeah, it'll be interesting. Uh, finally, I uh, brought this in here because this is something that, you know, I eventually want to review it on the show, but who knows if and when it'll happen. Back uh, after Joss Whedon wrapped the Avengers, principal photography on the Avengers, he spent a week shooting uh, Much Ado About Nothing, which is a Shakespeare adaptation starring pretty much all of your favorite weed nights you know nathan fillion's there tom lank is there uh alexis denisoff amy acker all people that you've seen throughout joss whedon's career um you know doing these these this part in a shakespeare movie and that movie finally uh was was it premiered at tiff Apparently he was introducing the movie and got a standing ovation, and his only remark was, I hope you feel this way in two hours. And then after the movie, they gave him two more standing ovations. So, you know, I, I how do you guys feel? Are, are you interested in it at all? Like, what, 
only because it's it's Whedon and I generally like everything he does. So yeah, that that makes it interesting. If it was anybody else, I probably wouldn't. Yeah, like because you know Shakespeare adaptation. They've been done before. Yeah, but I think that I, I like the people he works with too. It's not just Whedon. I like yeah. those actors that you that you named off. You mm-hmm. know, and, and they work really well together. Like there's a reason why they yeah. work together so many times. And yeah, no, I'm totally interested. I'll, I'll check it out in whatever format I can check it out. In, yeah. At some point. So. Yeah. What do you think, Nick? I'm I'm really not that interested, honestly. I'll I'll see it eventually, probably, but I uh, I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. Know, I like Fillion and I, I like Whedon in the, in the appropriate doses. I don't have the the rabid fanboy uh, feelings about him that the entire general public seems that I to do. right now. <laughs> well, not just you, just everybody. I'm just like everywhere I go now. Everybody's like, Joss Whedon's a genius," and I'm like, eh, "He's good, definitely in the right things." But I've seen a lot of Joss Whedon stuff I don't like. So, well, you also haven't like sat down and spent time with like the series that he's done. Like I you, mean, I'm a devoted Firefly fan. Obviously, I love <laughs> Firefly, Firefly. Yes, and Firefly. <laughs> and was... I've I've watched a lot of Buffy, and I like it, but I don't think it's all like perfect and i don't really like dr horrible i'm like the one person i know who doesn't really like it but i frankly don't like it <laughs> well see here's the thing is that with buffy i don't think you really get the the whole the thrust of the whole thing unless you sit there and watch it the entire thing and like you you don't even start hitting the arcs that really matter until later on in the series yeah and i mean that's just the nature of tv too yeah. and some of the the hip 90s-ness of especially the early buffy is a little dated now, yeah. and it's like even me. Hard to I watch. love I love Buffy. I watched it when it was first on TV, when like like elementary school or middle school or whatever. But even when I went back and rewatched the whole series, the first couple seasons, I'm like, this is a There's little. There's a lot of shows like this that. Is a little hip. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like when you watch, if you watch the early early like season one and two of Seinfeld, it like looks so old yeah. and it's so. But if you like it, it's still funny. So yeah. One day I'm sure I'll sit down and watch all of Buffy, and I'm sure I'll really like it. And. I think it's very important to sit there and watch as as you being a person who really appreciates comic books and the storytelling done in comic books. If you sit down and watch Angel side by side with Buffy, you will get the goosebumps like I did at the first moment of a crossover. Oh, that yeah. was like oh. when yeah, they interlock. Cool. It's pretty amazing. It'd be sweet. I'll have to get the the viewing order from you guys at some point. Yeah, I yeah, it's it's certain you Worth should it. certainly do it. So yeah, no, I mean it's not like I don't like it. I've, I I no, watched no, no. I I had a I had a class. One of my teachers was like a big Whedon fan and a yeah. big Buffy fan, and we had to watch like four or five episodes of Buffy over the course of like two or three class sessions. And uh, <coughs> bless you, edit sneeze. Um, <laughs> and I I liked them all. Yeah, I, mean, I was I was like, oh, these are pretty, these are pretty sweet, these are pretty brilliant. I'm just I'm a little more I'm a little more skeptical. I have to be skeptical. So no, and and <laughs> that's understandable. And and it's not like I mean I I'm sure I'll enjoy. I mean like Cabin in the Woods was so awesome. Yeah. And like usually things that have his seal of approval, I tend to yeah I tend to always enjoy. But I mean, oh man, Firefly is just so good. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's a unique animal though. There's the reason part of the reason I think I like it so much. It's that's like true. It's like nothing else. Yeah. But I mean, so I'll see it eventually. But I'm not like frothing up gash to see it. Yeah. In, uh, you're not like me, waiting to see if it gets picked up by a distributor, just so that I have the hope of seeing it one day. Oh, you'll see it, I'm sure. Uh, no, I totally will. I, I'm There's gonna no see way. it now, now. He's I such wanted, a golden commodity. I wanted to go to TIFF to see the movie. Like I wanted to be there. I was, I was, but you know, that didn't end up. Should have told me. Fillion is the bigger draw for me than than Whedon. Like Fillion is just so good. 
Fillion's good. The two that he has, like, Much Ado About Nothing is based around, like, two different couples that are going through the same kind of, uh, like, marriage kind of thing in totally different, like, ways. And the main couple is Amy Acker and Alexis Denisoff, Mm -hmm. who have... Fantastic chemistry. Like, the best chemistry in the world. I do really want to see... Actually, Dollhouse is the number one show of his that I really want to see. You'd probably like Dollhouse a lot. It's a, near the top of my Netflix queue. Anyway. It's it's certainly worth checking out. I yeah. would lend you the two seasons that I have on Blu-ray. Netflix. So. But yeah. you said it was Alexis Denisoff and, and Amy Acker are the one couple? They, yeah, they're like the main couple. I forget who the two in the second couple is. Okay. But like those two alone, like the reason that he wanted to make this movie is because he would do Shakespeare readings at his house when when he was doing Buffy and Angel and Firefly at the same time. And they read these parts, and they have been perfect. And in his mind, he's always been like, if I was going to do a Shakespeare movie, they would be the ones that would be at the forefront That's of really it. That's really cool. So. I think the the project, like in theory, is a really cool idea. Yeah. Because like you said, it's not going to be like modern modern. Like It's not going to be like cell phones and iPads yeah. modern, but it won't be It's not going to be period. blatantly modern. It's not going to be one of those things where it's like, let's just show you how updated we are. In the, you They're know what I mean? Yeah. the whole movie. Yeah. yeah. It's just silly. Like product placement after product it's, placement to show you. It'll be a lot like Breaking Bad is, actually, because Breaking Bad has, like, no indicators of... There are cell phones, but it's in a very timeless place. Like, That's it true. Could, it could take place, you know, and from, people, like... Even some of the fashion is... It's well, really not good. I think that's an underrated aspect of filmmaking, is yeah. trying to make your movie timeless, because a lot of them are just so... Yeah. So dated. Yeah. Well, that's part of the power of not having an overt amount of product placement. As soon as you start doing rabid... I was just thinking about this for some reason the day when I was washing dishes. I started thinking about Transformers, the first one, and how much product placement there is. And the guy's walking down the street with an Xbox, and then there's the Mountain Dew machine turns into a <laughs> mm-hmm. robot. And yep. It's just, like, insane. Yeah. And I remember it in... Uh, oh, what movie was that? Oh, uh, Secret Window. There's a, this was like years and years and years and years ago when I was way less media savvy. And I remember watching Secret Window with my girlfriend at the time. And there's a part where he opens one of his desk drawers and there's a bag of Doritos right there, like face <laughs> yeah, up, like, yeah. like on top of everything else. And I remember just rearing my head back while watching the movie and going, what the hell? <laughs> I'm totally taken out of the movie now because all I'm thinking about are Doritos and not in a good way. Yeah. Like, oh, I want some Doritos now. I'm like, what the hell, Doritos? That's funny. I watched Knocked Up a couple nights ago as far as the uh, the age thing. Yeah. And I love that movie. But I, they have a spot with Ryan Seacrest and he's name dropping yeah, Jessica yep. Simpson and then yep. he's name dropping American Idol and like, this already feels dated. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah. I don't know. It's hard. I mean, it's hard because a lot of those jokes, when the movie comes out, it's like, what do you want to do? Do you want your movie to last in the long run or do you want it to be really relevant now? Yeah. Because mm-hmm. a lot of those jokes, I'm sure when we first watched the movie, were like really funny. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And now we'd kind of be like, oh, remember that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ooh. Absolutely. That's why those spoof movies, like epic movie, <laughs> scary movie, may they die. They, the ultimately, they the ultimate not timeless movie. <laughs> yeah, because it all it is is jokes that are going on that week when they f- happen to be filming. But it's scary because yeah, so. they make such an insanely high quick S- buck at the time. Scary. Scary. Anyway, let's uh, not talk yeah. about those anymore. Okay, so we're gonna move on to our full review because not a whole lot of news to talk about today. Is there anything else? Dry news week, my friend. Very much so. I was so. thinking that on the way here. I was like, Very what the hell so. is there even to talk nothing, about? A lot of speculation. We've got heat yeah. to talk about, fellas. That's yes. what we've got. Lots of heat. heat. Heat is about it. So, got a couple of dudes in heat right now. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> so, uh, one of the original Genesis, maybe that's the Genesis's. proper. Genesis. 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 Of, 
me doing a podcast was I wanted to go through my list of list of shame, which are movies that I haven't seen that I should have seen, and talk about it with people that have like, you know, either loved or hated that movie, like have been passionate about that movie in either direction, mm-hmm. and sit down and talk about it. So when there's a, a week that you know movies, there's nothing particularly big coming out, and we weren't rushing out the door to see the words or whatever it is. No. With... Oh boy. Sorry, Bradley Cooper. So. Um, or that other dud with uh, Cavill and Bruce Willis. What's that thing called? I don't even know. It's got a, like a 12 on Rotten Tomatoes. It's. Yeah. No, thank you. So we're gonna go back, and you know, we can either delve through my list of shame, or Willie's gonna bring up some some uh, horror movies that that he. It's kind know. of my area of expertise. Yeah, so. and then Nick Nick's going to bring some of the film school flair with some movies that we should watch that could really educate us about film and, and you know. Read, we've snob, all got our own for cool, Alexa. We've all got our own cool <laughs> little, uh, little corners of yeah. the film world that we, you know what I mean, that we, yep. so it's, not to call you the naive one, but. Well, you know, I mean. It's cool, though, because it's, I hope that when we do the retro views, and I'm really excited about it because, you know, I get very nostalgic about my movies. Yeah. Um, I hope that we can show other people why we love these movies we're talking about. Yeah. You know, like give and them a reason to... Twist people's arms and they'll go and watch Absolutely. It. That's my goal. <laughs> yeah. Like, I will put a gun to your head verbally and you will go see this. <laughs> All right. So, that's why we picked Heat today. I've never seen Heat up until now. This is actually my second Michael Mann movie, but we don't count uh, Public Enemies because it sucked. But, um, so Heat is a movie from 1995 starring Al Pacino, uh, Robert De Niro, Val Kilmer a ton of other people um and just to give a quick little synopsis here's the imdb synopsis for you all a group of professional bank robbers start to feel the heat from police when they unknowingly leave a clue at their latest heist so uh oh wow is that ever boiled down yeah that's that's extremely like (laughs) boiled down so written and directed by michael mann uh, Michael Mann of uh, Collateral, Miami Vice, Manhunter, the original Carter. Hannibal Lecter movie, yeah. <laughs> Last of the Mohicans, all kinds of. Got to remember that one. Yeah, all kinds of movies that the he's Insider? directed. The Insider, he directed The Insider, right? I believe so. Yeah. So, um, all right, I'm trying to think of where where we should start off with this. I, you know, I never actively avoided Heat. It's just I was five years old when this movie came out. Sure. So it's not exactly something that I would have seen. Uh, <laughs> you didn't run out to go see Heat when no, you were, when you were wobbling as a five-year-old. <laughs> I wasn't like, hoo Al Pacino, let's go, come right. on. But, so, um, wow, you were um, five, holy So you, never, you hadn't seen it at all until today. Yeah, I, I knew nothing. I wasn't spoiled. I didn't know. You went in pretty fresh. Yeah. You knew who was in it, and that was about it. I so knew what, the, what that final song was, because you guys love it so much. Sure. Um, wow, so man. Nick, we when, did you, when you going into watching it today... What is your history with Heat? I think is the first thing to talk about. I I don't I've kind of lost count. I think this is either my seventh or eighth time seeing Heat. It's been a lot. I've watched it. I rented it from the video store a couple times a long time ago. Uh and then I bought the VHS, I think, eventually, and I watched it on VHS and then I had it on D V D and now I have it on Blu ray and it's one of those movies that's come with me from every format of home video ownership basically so so you you rented it at the video store because you were like you know did you say oh there's el pacino robert de niro this is probably a good movie. have you Dude, heard honestly, did you hear about it, it was like, so long ago i don't even remember what prompted me i this was pre-internet yeah. <laughs> oh pre like mass internet and this was before i ever considered film as a career so i think it was 
I don't even know what it was. Something, something looked might intriguing have just been about word, it. Word of mouth, like just from people or like my dad being like, oh, the Heat movie's pretty good. Or, uh, <laughs> or yeah, just something intriguing about it. I don't remember. But okay. I've seen it a lot and loved it a lot ever since I first saw it. And I remember watching it the first time thinking like, wow, this is really insane. I think I remember watching it. I could be totally making this up. <laughs> I think I watched it at one point with Tony and Alex. I don't know. Maybe Alex hasn't seen it. Maybe it was John. I don't remember. A few of us, I remember watching it in my basement in Redford back in the day, and just nothing, it was just dead silence when the movie ended, because it's just, <laughs> it's that kind of movie where you just want to sit. Super powerful. And th- yeah, yeah, and just think about what you just saw yeah. <laughs> in a good way. Not like in other movies where you go, eee. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's, where does it I've rank seen it for a you? lot. As far as movies are concerned, I mean, is it pretty up there for you? I oh, yeah. I mean, I don't know if, it's, if it quite breaches... Doesn't breach top five of all time for me, I don't think, but it's probably in the top ten. I mean, it's just so good, and every time I watch it, I mean, the the, the longer I'm alive, and the longer I watch movies, and the longer I read about movies, and just am involved in movies, the better and better it gets every time I watch it. It's just like I, yeah. I I get more out of it every time I see it. I get things out of it I didn't get before. Yeah. Like even today, it was just a whole new lens I was watching the movie through, and yeah. it was very very cool experience. And that's, today was my first time watching a Blu-ray, actually. I've, had, I've owned the Blu-ray for uh, a long time. I actually almost bought three copies of it at one point because I kept forgetting I already had it. <laughs> I bought two without knowing it, and then I was planning on buying another one to give to you as a present, mm-hmm, Willie. Because I didn't have the... Yeah, and then I was like, wait, I already have two of them. And I was like, okay, good, so I don't have to go out and buy another one for Willie. I'll just give him this one I have. Well, thank you. Yeah, anytime. And uh, <laughs> I, we have a history with Heat, though, me and Willie. It's one of the first movies we really bonded over. Yeah, well, the for me no with, with Heat, it was <laughs> absolutely um, <laughs> total homo. <laughs> um, no, uh, for me, it was I was too. I mean, I was ten, so I wasn't exactly or nine or ten, so I wasn't exactly old enough to be going to see yeah. Heat in the theater. But when it came out on cable, um, my I remember my dad watching oh, yeah, it. Yeah, it always used to be on TV it, on cable a lot, and I don't remember um, watching the whole movie through back then. Um, I do, however, remember seen the the big heist scene of the movie, yeah. the big shootout. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of the climax of the of the movie. Yeah. And um I remember my dad watching it. He was super into it. And I just remember the sound of this this gunfire. Yeah. Because the sound is mixed so well in this I'm, movie. Yeah. Incredibly well done. I remember we had this, you know, not a not an amazing T V or anything. Did certainly didn't have surround sound. Yeah. And it just sounded so great that I was yep. just captivated. Um and I remember Years later, when my me and my little brother were a little bit older, I, remember, I, I thought about that, and I was like, what was that movie? And I eventually somehow figured out it was Heat and rented it at the store. And, um, you know, now it's it's in my top ten movies, and it's my brother's favorite movie. Yeah. Which is why I didn't have a copy, because I left one for him when I moved out of the house. <laughs> I was nice enough to do that, so... That's, that's good. So, Zach, if you're listening, you know, don't forget about that. <laughs> um, but, um, no, you, and it's, it's, it's up there. It's... Uh, it's like a yeah, probably in the top ten for me. Um, great movie. Now, how about you, Alex? Since this is your first time, how do you feel about? Well, the movie? I'll I'll sit here and say, I we reviewed three movies on this pod, technically four movies on this podcast. And you know what? I'll go back to even The Dark Knight Rises is about two hours two hours and forty minutes long. Uh, the Bourne Legacy is about two hours and fifteen minutes long. Expendables is like an hour forty five. That one doesn't fit the, what I'm about to say. Lawless is like an hour and 50 minutes. 
This movie, Heat, is two hours and 50 minutes long, and I was so captivated by it that it felt shorter than those other three that I just listed. Mm-hmm. Like, this movie kind of just puts you right into it and then keeps you on the edge of your seat, edge of your seat the whole time. And that is, it's because of many reasons. Like you said, Willie, the, the sound design, there's a scene in, when, when they're, they're at the airport later on and you hear these, these planes flying by and it sounds like you are right there with them no matter what. Yeah, like we even, were on, your, even on a flat screen Sony TV or whatever, it still not, sounds awesome. We weren't awesome. watching it. Now, to be fair, we weren't watching it on any sort of... I mean, it's a it's a nice TV, but we aren't watching it on anything that's like yeah, no insanely There's expensive. No, There's no surround sound, nothing. No. Yeah, and and it sounded like all the gunfire sounds perfect. It never has that problem where like somebody's shooting a gun, and you're like, is that really what that gun sounds like? Right. And things like it's, uh, maybe <laughs> it's that's a problem before. that I have. But uh, no, no, totally. Yeah, like it, the, well, even the way the guns look when they shoot them, you're like, yeah. wow, Val Kilmer actually looks like he's standing in the middle of a highway shooting yeah. a gun. And and so sound design's amazing. Uh, the a lot of the the camera work is really really cool. It, it, there were a few moments on the Blu-ray where you can notice that, like you know, we talked about. There's a scene on the balcony with De Niro where uh, where you can clearly see that there's some green screen effect going on with them showing like the the glow of the city behind them, and that kind of pulled me out of it a little bit. But that wasn't a big problem, and you know, but th- it extremely well made from all from all uh, fronts. The the plot is the way that everything gets interwoven you know you mm-hmm. have these these personal lives of of you know not only the people doing the heist but also al pacino's character who's kind of like the the uh lead investigator on the whole and thing even some of his underlings that aren't you don't really know anything about them yeah but they're still managed to be interesting yeah like they they all they're still characters <laughs> yeah they're Absolutely. certainly characters and you, you can you can feel them there and you know like you know what they do, like you see one guy when when they're on the phone with Pacino, pick up another phone and start calling somebody else, and like just these little moments it's the here little and there. things that give it a sense of yeah realism. Yeah, and you know, and the other interesting thing about this movie, and particularly the plot, now that I've gotten to it, it's really hard to pick somebody to root for. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, because you've got Pacino's side of the story and you've got De Niro's side of the story, and both of them you you spend so much time with both of them outside of their their jobs that you really get to know who they are and then it's hard to root for either of them you know you don't you don't you don't want the heist to go well but then you do want the heist to go. there's there's yeah, this awesome weird. scene it's very strange there's this awesome scene in like the like right at the end of the first third of the movie where where they're going to uh they're going to rob some sort of um, bank overnight or something like that. I think it's like a, bank. a, like it's a diamond, a, a, some sort of diamond wholesaler. Some or yeah, yeah, like a metal wholesaler, and Precious they're going. They're going to go rob the safe that they have in there to get it, and and Pacino's outside. Are we in a jumping? Van. In, are we jumping right into the? No, 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 no. I just, okay. I just want to say that there's there's tension in that scene that you don't get with a lot of movies that are trying so hard to have that tension. Yeah. And and it all comes in the way that it's shot and the performances and the, the things that they do with the props like on set, like the fact that you have a screen, you can see the cops are watching De Niro like as he's in the shadows with like a heat heat camera, an infrared camera. And it just adds this whole like kind of like Yeah, it's it's absolutely amazing. It's masterful. So, it really is. Yeah, and, and it's it's one of those movies that when people are talking about movies and they talk about real movie making magic where all the pieces from all the different areas come together mm-hmm. to really succeed in making a great 
awesome epic experience it's both entertaining and a pretty engrossing story mm-hmm. and a good yeah. character study and everything it's one of the few movies that really hits it on all marks and it's got everything it's well, got i mean it's got yeah it's got it's got some humorous moments some fantastic action sequences yeah but oh, the, yeah. the action sequences aren't aren't overly ridiculous there's yeah, not no. there's not Jets flying overhead, exploding, you know, dropping bombs. It's not like Transformers. There's, there's not Sylvester Stallone using. And I'm, I'm, never mind. I'm not going to say that because Nick didn't see that movie yet. So. It's Please not, don't ruin Expendables <laughs> two for me. It's not. It's not overly ridiculous. It's a very realistic movie. It's. It's got some very very um, uplifting moments. It's got some very sad, heartbreaking moments. It's got some some romance in yeah. there, even if it's kind of tainted romance. And it's very great. Saying all this, you would kind of think that it's overcluttered, but. It's really not at all. Even like, I mean, it would hard, it'd be hard to be overcluttered with a two hour and fifty minute long movie. But like I said, it doesn't. There's a lot of subplots that come in. Like there, there's one in the in the that doesn't even get introduced really until the third act. That while we were watching the movie just now, I was like, oh my god, I've completely forgot this whole subplot has yet to happen and yeah. unfold. And it's that's just all a testament to Michael Mann. What a giant train he had to steer for this movie. I can't even imagine. I'd love to watch a really long making of on this movie. Yeah, there's not a bad performance in, in the entire no, thing. No, not at all. There's yeah. not a single weak link. Every single Everybody's person. Amazing. I mean, from Natalie Portman, yeah, in young one of her Natalie first Portman, roles, yep. to all the way up to De Niro and everybody in between. Everybody knocks it out I think, of the park. I don't think this is a very spoilery thing to talk about, but there's. I think everybody knows that. Well, maybe not Nikki, who doesn't seem to know the big the big moments in all these <laughs> all these movies. But there's a there's that scene that everyone talks about, where you have these two titans of crime film. You have Robert De Niro and Al Pacino sitting down, playing opposing characters over a cup of coffee, talking, and it was the first time they'd ever be on screen together. They were in The Godfather 2 together, but but because De Niro was playing Marlon Brando's character, Al Pacino's father, in a different time period, there was never any sort of crossing of the two. I mean, can you imagine this moment when this movie hit theaters? Like, oh my god. And I love that Michael Mann, instead of choosing to do what so many... uh, cheaper directors could have done and make them have some sort of fist fight or something ridiculous. Yeah. He though he t- makes it the most serene s- like they just relaxing talk. moment of the film. Yeah. They're sitting down together and having coffee. And you there's never, nothing that two people And you never feel nervous. See, like there's no cheesy shots of them like unholstering their guns. Yeah, there's no hit. guns under the they table or anything like that. They're two professionals who sit down and just talk with no no admission, you know, nothing nothing hidden. Yeah. They talk they just, shop with each they're other. They're both it's... two tired older guys who are married to their jobs who just talk and yeah. find common ground and it's like it is such a good scene. I mean, it goes it down that goes down in top three like best movie scenes of all time. And all they yeah, do is absolutely. talk. Yep. It's so good. Yeah. Every line of dialogue is so good. And the performances, <laughs> like the little subtleties, especially in Pacino's face, he's so expressive in that scene. There's mm-hmm. just all these little moments yeah. where I could just watch that scene on loop. It's so good. And Pacino's got some very interesting little quirks in this film, <laughs> which I really love about his character. Yeah. Because cause they, 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 uh, him and De Niro's characters really... Um, parallel each other interestingly in the sense of their actual personalities because Pacino is very over the top and twitchy and like yeah. screaming at people and l- like in this weird goofy way yeah. and, um, and then De Niro is really quiet and reserved and only gets that way when he absolutely has to yeah. even then he doesn't take it to the he's very it's in just, control it's very yeah absolutely and Pacino's just kind of all over the place and it's it's uh it's very it's very cool to see those two conflicting. It would be interesting to see the movie if those two had swapped swap roles. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because you could never see De Niro like doing a lot it of It wouldn't work. work. It wouldn't work as a movie. Yeah. No, nah, and like uh, I've seen it before <laughs> watching it though. Um, oh shoot, 
shoot, shoot, shoot. What's the name of that movie? Early, uh, wow. I can't even try to bring up this point and argue it if I don't even remember the name of the movie. <laughs> I'll look it up. Carry on. Well, yeah. Nick was saying, you know, it's such a, an amazing confluence of all these things. And one of the, one of the sayings that I like to, to think about when I'm thinking of how I would rate a movie is whether or not the movie is, is greater than the sum of its parts. You know, like I said about Lawless, the movie isn't really greater than the sum of its parts. You've got some, some, you've got a very good director, you've got some, some good actors and it never necessarily all coalesces into something fantastic. Mm-hmm. This movie is certainly greater than some of its parts, you know. And its parts add up to a lot. Yeah, and it, I can't, you know, I enjoyed it very much. So if you guys had any fear that I wasn't going to like it, then it was completely unfounded. But <laughs> well, let's let's before we go, you should into have sp- been afraid you weren't going to like it because uh, <laughs> we might have disowned you. Before the movie, we, I was uh, thinking of was Mean Streets. Oh, Mean Streets with De Niro. Yeah, because De Niro's first, character first is kind of a movie, wasn't it? Mean mm, Streets. I don't think so. One of his first. Yeah, one of his earliest. He's mm-hmm. he's kind of a wild man in that movie, and I remember yeah. watching it and going, De Niro's usually plays these like cool like in that movie, but I mean that was. 20 years prior and he's that he, way in Cape Fear too he's really oh, yeah. off the wall in Cape Fear I mean he can do it well I just think that they picked the right yeah you know oh I mean? yeah absolutely Pacino's so good and as, so and so is De Niro they're perfect yeah um you know as silly as this is we're gonna do spo- spoiler section because yeah I if like you said if we wanna you know kick people into seeing a movie then it would be good to you know maybe give them talk about why they should see it and then you know we can analyze yeah, absolutely if, if you don't follow us into the spoiler section all you need to know about the movie is it is very long but it never feels long you'll no. never look at your watch because nope. or cell phone because it's people don't absolutely worth worth the, got the length stellar of time. performances it looks great it sounds great it's cut really well it's shot really well everything about it and like like i was saying uh well when we weren't recording yet but you can tell like some serious like masterful where it's not like people who are first time directors made a great movie like this is someone who had a very measured professional eye who sat down and made the movie because it just every it just oozes yeah pure polish yeah perfection there's, there's not a waste scene the whole movie there. is just like the guts of a watch and everything's just working together mm-hmm. yep. everything Absolutely. down to the from the way it's shot to every every single flare you see on the lens everything it's just beautiful there's all these oh man there's just so, so many good moments what's your if you before we go into spoilers what's your grade for the listeners that don't want to stick around for spoilers if you had to give it a grade before i would have i probably would have just said nine out of ten but even just watching it now today i'm like this is one of those rare movies that can pretty much nail a ten and ten it's out worth of ten, 10. Yeah. yeah i think it's a ten out of it's, ten too it's pretty damn flawless yeah so right. there you have there it there's no reason to not if you're listening to this podcast there's no reason not just to see this movie go to a place where movies are sold or filmed or rented and yeah. buy it or yeah. rent it and watch it or, I would, I would be after, after watching this episode drop a drop an email to the uh, any of the Midwest film nerds and uh, say hey we want to come have a special screening of Heat with you guys feedback at midwestfilmnerds.com yes. shameless plug yes <laughs> is it shameless because no I don't know <laughs> anyway it's so uh, we're going to move into spoilers but before don't pause yet we are going to we do have some time after the spoilers now where we're not going to be talking about spoilers so Give this about maybe 15, 20 minutes. I have the show notes up on the website. You can see exactly where we stop talking about spoilers and then continue from there. So uh, we'll be right back. All right, so we are in spoiler territory for heat. Mm-hmm. So what do we want to talk about, guys? 
Um, I I think the scene that I was talking about earlier, where where you know the at the uh, the metal the metal shop, yeah, where they want to get the metals, and De Niro comes and stands outside, and he like kind of fades back into the shadows. Very and cool. You see his image come in on on the infrared, infrared camera. Yeah, it's that's a beautifully shot whole sequence there. It's the two of them well staring done. at each other. Yeah, like through through the screen is just very very cool and yeah i that that whole sequence is extremely cool and you know you got uh val kilmer is like i'm almost there blah blah blah. he's like just walk we're going right now we gotta go that's a big part of that's a big theme in the movie is the the fact that um the idea of walking away from everything you've everything you have in your personal life because of the job yep And, and also on pacino's side because Pacino later on, after Natalie Portman, his stepdaughter, is you know, um, tried to kill herself. Yeah. He, even he, you know, eventually walks away from that. Yeah. You know, I mean, he doesn't necessarily make the decision himself. His wife says, you know, go do what you have to do. Yeah. And he says, that's all I am is what I chase. You know, what I'm after. Yeah. You know, and it's it's just very interesting. I love. I've always loved the idea of the relationship between criminals and cops. Yeah. Because it's. There's that. There's a saying that goes. I'm paraphrasing here. Something along the lines of, you know, if cops weren't cops, they'd be the criminals. You know, yeah. like because they, yeah. they 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 have to think like that, and yeah. they have to. And I I love the, I love the the relationship between the two of them because they shouldn't. They don't necessarily even like each other in the movie. You know, they don't get to know each other that well, but yeah. they have such a mutual admiration for each other. Yeah, like you when when uh, De Niro's talking with John Voight about who uh, Al Pacino's character is. Yes. Uh, uh, John Voight's basically just like the guy admires you, you know, like he, you know, and and then subsequently you get to the scene that Nick brought up where they're talking in the diner. Mm-hmm. And there's a very, you guys are very, you can tell that the two of them have a lot of respect for each other. And I, I, I think that the way that they, like I said earlier, the diner scene was a very interesting way to have their first on-screen yeah. shared time. Yep. But I think that they they do such a great job of building the tension between the two characters, even when they aren't together for most of the movie. Yeah. That's very, it's very, it's very well, that's a testament to how well done it is. That's character building. Absolutely. And, and, and it's moments like them staring at each other through, they don't really see each other, but they're kind of eyeballing each other. But they're both like... <laughs> they know each other yeah. are there, obviously. Yep. And, and then there's the, the diner scene. And, and it all builds to that final, that final showdown between the two. Yeah, and it's genuinely one of those rare movie moments where you're on the edge of your seat. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, the movie could go anywhere at this point. I mean, uh, De Niro could kill Pacino and escape. De Niro could kill Pacino and get I caught. Mean, they could kill each other. Anything could happen in that scene. Even even as Pacino is is approaching uh, De Niro, and De Niro's hidden behind the building. Pacino's Pacino's like wide open. There's mm-hmm. no reason that Pacino should have walked away from that. But because he's such a smart cop, because he sat there and waited and those lights came on and he could see the shadow, mm-hmm. you know, like nine times out of ten, that situation would have ended up with Al Pacino dead. Absolutely. He was he was wide open, whereas De Niro had cover. Now, do you think that that, they, they talk earlier in the diner about how, you know, if it comes down to it, I'll kill you. If it comes down to it, I'll kill you. They kind of have that, that exchange yeah. with each other. Do you think that De Niro did hesitate? Do you think that maybe he knew where Pacino was and he had a hesitation there and that's kind of what cost him? He had a moment of thinking, do I want to do this? I always thought that there's a possibility that there was a moment in his mind of, 
of maybe not knowing where Pacino exactly was, but but kind of thinking about hesitating about like snapping how out. He has to do this. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I always thought that there was a possibility of And you that. know what? And the, the biggest thing about it is that the reason that De Niro snaps out is that he thinks that the lights that come on as a plane is landing is going to give him the clear the clear shot at Pacino that's needed. The cover, yeah. Like, straight out from the cover, you know, those lights on, he's going to know exactly where Pacino is, but mm-hmm. yet Pacino has that common sense to look for that shadow. Absolutely. And, and immediately wheels over to shoot him. Now, from what you're saying, I don't necessarily... I mean, I think... De Niro spends that whole sequence kind of realizing that there's no way he's going to walk out of this unless he does it. Unless right. he unless he kills Sure, uh, but I think there is a hesitation there. Yeah. I think that there is more than not I'm not saying he wouldn't have done it cuz obviously he tries to draw yeah. him, but I think there was a hesitation there that he didn't expect to have. Yeah. And I think the same goes for when he leaves Amy Brenneman's character. Yeah. The the woman that he has fallen in love with and obviously he hasn't had a, a connection like that of any kind. Yep. The closest thing to a friendship he has is with the guys he works with, and I think that that's pretty much a working relationship for the most part anyway. Yeah. But... They all kind of realize... With the exception of maybe Kilmer, it seems like he has more of a personal... That's true. Because he knows Kilmer's wife and yeah. family situation. But, I mean, when it comes to Tom Sizemore's character and stuff, I mean, they go out to dinner together and their wives know each other, but I don't think they're they're going out golfing together. Yeah. They realize that when something hits the fan, they're going to have to... Go their separate ways. Out, Once yeah. again, the theme of having to completely yes. disassociate yourself from everything you know. Leave as soon as you feel the heat. Absolutely. Which is a fantastic quote, and I don't even mind that they use it like three times in the movie because yeah. it's so awesome. Um, but no, when he leaves Amy Brenneman's character later on in the film, there's a hesitation there, too. More so than what and, you would expect from him. And he even talks about it in the scene, in the, in the diner scene, he's just kind of like, you know, having that discipline to walk away. Mm-hmm. Like, it really is discipline. It's like, you know, that he doesn't want to leave her there, and she's kind of looking right at him. And she she sees him making the decision to leave her there, and yeah. stands there completely dumbfounded at the fact that it happened. Yeah, it's but so intense. It's it's a very sad scene. And, and a similar scene that really always kind of tugs at the heartstrings for me is the scene where um, they're trying to capture Kilmer. And his wife is confronted yeah. with the decision of turning in her husband, who, yes, they have kind of a, a rocky relationship, but they love each other. Yeah. How about, you know, she has to turn him in to essentially save her life and the life of her son. And that scene where she she realizes that she's never going to see him again, and even more so, you can see it in his eyes when he's leaving. Yeah. He re- he's never going to see his son again. Yep. He's never going to see his wife again. Odds are... I mean, who knows, maybe years down the road, but that's up for debate. I mean, but essentially that that realization, I think, that his life is gone. You know what I mean? Yeah, he survived. He's not going to prison, but really, was it worth it? See, and that was one of the weird... That was probably the only sticking point that I had. I was thinking about that. I was like, why would she be at this other place? And why would he possibly even think of going there? Like, why would she be there with their son. Right. Why would he even think of walking in? Like, why did... Well, I think she contacted him. I think yeah. because he... The, the cop well, that's yeah, with that, her... The cop, the cop is clearly like, you know, you're going to help us get him. Going, and I think she, somehow she had a way to... Who knows? They could have had a conversation in the past about if there's ever a situation, this is where you can get a hold of me. You know what I mean? The, it's possible. Well, yeah, but even, like, even so, the cops have this place and they draw her there. True. Yeah, through Hank Azaria's yes. character. So it's like, but uh, you know, I'm willing to forgive that because sure. the rest of it is just so, 
that's a minor minor quibble in the fact that you know the rest of the movie is so so well done yeah and there's not a there's not a single uninteresting character no in the movie i mean there's there's some characters like tom noonan who's really only in there for what one scene yeah and he's even a very fascinating character cuz you're like he just the way he plays it and and the nature of who is this guy? Not, you know, not, like not only that, and it's like you guys are saying that that's like a future me. With, <laughs> he's sitting there in this bathrobe with his pocket full of like random crap. like a calculator and, and stuff. There's like yeah. a, I swear, there's a lot of like twenties in his pocket. Like that alone, that little detail on top of the fact that he's sitting in a wheelchair. It's like you know, interesting. You wonder who is this guy? Mm-hmm. What has and he gone through? John Voight's character. You're like that guy's got stories. <laughs> yeah, John Voight's character is just like pretty haggard. You need a shower as soon as you see him. <laughs> <laughs> He's fantastic. John John Voight now looks younger than his character in, in this heat, movie. Absolutely. So, um, but as far as I mean, as far as specific scenes, other scenes that I, I think work really well. I I always have loved the um, the scene where they're ambushed by uh, Van Zant's guys, William Fickner's character. Yeah. And I I love the, the the teammate vibe you feel with those guys. And, and, and same with the bank shooting scene. And the way that too. they're working together. Yeah, you can see they have a plan for any situation. Yep. You know, I, 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 I love that. There's a lot uh, There's a lot said in the movie through only through action and not even through words. And then a lot of the things that are said with words are done so minimally. It's really awesome. Like, I remember, you know, always learning that with, with movies you're supposed to show, not tell. It's, yeah. it's a showing medium, not a telling medium. And I think that's a pitfall a lot of modern movies tend to fall into is everything's just like exposition of the wazoo. Or no Lawless. <clears throat> really? <laughs> the end of Lawless is Shia LaBeouf telling you everything. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, but, yeah anyway. but in in that kind of voiceover, I think it's a little bit different. And voiceover is kind of a different mechanic. A lot of people frown on voiceover. I kind of like it in the right doses. I'm not frowning on voiceover, but anyway, we that's yeah, we had that discussion. Yeah, and tap like that, yeah, it's a little different. But I mean, like it, it, it could be like, it's just done in such in so much a better like organic way. Like I was immediately uh, struck by the the part when when Wayne Grow, who's like their their new hire with the crew. I know Wayne Grow. <laughs> Wayne Grow's a bitch. He is. Uh, when Wayne Grow first jumps into the truck with Tom Sizemore, and he's like, so. You guys are a real tight crew, right? And Sizemore's like, yeah, real tight. And he's like, yeah, you guys have rolled together for a long time. And he's like, yep. And he keeps talking. He's like, stop talking. It's like that immediately I was like, this is good because you don't have like... It's just, it, it's you're not, not learning about them through somebody. It's right. immediately just like there is no cipher for the viewer from that moment you're, on. You're just watching two people meeting each other. And it's just it's kind of an organic way it unfolds. Like Wayne Grove is the one who kind of tells you these guys are an experienced crew. You don't like see Tom Sizemore and... De Niro meet up and go, I'm so glad we've been friends for 10 years and been on all these jobs <laughs> together. Yes, you're a great partner. Thank you for years of service. Yeah, like, and, and it's done very organically and it it's nice. It could have been done that way. Yeah, oh, for sure. But it's it done been. that way the many whole, times. And the whole movie is like that where it's a lot of it's through action. But I mean, even during the robbery, it's so slick. The way that the semi hits the armored car and it flips and instantly... De Niro's got the stopwatch ready, and they're like, there's the call, and he clicks his stopwatch, yeah. and he's like, it's just bam, 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 all oh, the points. Yeah. And then as soon as you see Wayne Girl's the one who totally biffs it by executing that one the guard, and then guard, it all yeah. falls yeah. falls apart from there. But it's cool to see how professional they are. And that, oh, man, it's so good. There are so many shots while they're in there. Uh, I think it's probably Kilmer. He seems to be like the, the point man in the whole movie, the one who goes in and grabs whatever they're doing. Yeah. Um, is in there emptying out the bonds, and they're just outside, and you just see these 
slow circle shots around them with guns and just the blank expressionless yeah. hockey masks. It's just such a cool yeah, segment. And, and, There's all these just and the professionalism of the crew is what makes yeah. them interesting. It's the they're not overly slick to the point of like like they don't have any ridiculous gadgets or anything like that. Yeah. But it's it's the way they carry themselves. It's the bravado. And and it's it, like Kilmer when they're having the shootout in the streets, the big shootout. They're he instantly... has this blank look on his face. He's almost robotic in in the way yeah. he. Well, it's weird too because they get caught completely off guard. They're in the middle of a giant like eight lane L A highway, and instantly they fall into a pattern of covering mm-hmm. each other and advancing. Yeah. And there's yep. no like, okay guys, game plan. We need a game plan. They just fall right into this awesome pattern of covering each other and shooting their way out of what should have been a pretty solid blockade. It's really, really awesome to watch. And I think, well, this would obviously be a good way to segue right into the shootout scene, which is definitely legendary. Yeah. I mean, people know that scene is mm-hmm. like one of the greatest action sequences and it's not even necessarily action per se. It's just shooting, but it's so good. It's it's just the, the volume, the, uh, the sound of everything, the, all the shots are just so cool. It's, and it's intense as hell. There's one particular shot where you see it's 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 like a pretty close-up shot of Val Kilmer switching back and forth between shooting in front of him and behind him. Yeah. And the camera's right there, and it kind of falls out as he as he switches sides and then goes right back into him. And I was like, that's that was really cool. Like just Very that cool. little moment had a little bit of flair that really stuck out to me. There are so many shots in that movie that I was watching, especially this time. So many shots that made great use of. Steady cam in location. Like there are, there's a shot where uh, it's the shot when Pacino comes to talk to his snitch. Uh, I forgot the guy's name. He's the guy eating in like the back yeah. of the junkyard. When Pacino enters the building, the camera, the steady cam splits off to the left, and Pacino splits off to the right, or vice versa. Maybe the, I think the camera goes right and he goes left, and it swings wide and it follows him across the whole room, and then he walks. They form like a square. And they meet up on the other side of the square, and Pacino crosses right in front of the camera again, and it follows him right out the door to the back. And I was there's so many of those it's moments. Pretty impressive. The, the charting, the the planning of of the moves with the actors, and you know that's that's such a great strength. Uh, I think when you have really good actors, you can do those long takes and those long shots, yeah. and they're just totally. It's just they're they're awesome to behold these actors, and they're just in their environment, just saying, "Okay, Al, you're gonna walk through the room like a badass, and then go outside <laughs> like a badass, and just be a badass." <laughs> and it's like whenever you watch Paul Thomas Anderson movies, there's always these long takes of these awesome actors. And it's just cool to see actors actually get to act. Because when you watch movies like... And I'm not knocking the, the style, but this movie takes a lot of its time with these longer steady cam shots or dolly shots or just like the... You really feel a scene playing out and it's not dominated by editing. And you see... You watch movies like the... And like I said, I'm not hating on the style, but like the board movies or oh, movies yeah, where absolutely. it's like cut, 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 cut. It's like the performance is Frankenstein pieced back together by the editor in, in an attempt to take all yeah. these takes after take after take after take after take and putting it together into a coherent performance. And when you can have a movie like that that kind of slows down and lets the performance actually evolve, it's where you really get to see great acting. Much like Haywire. <laughs> <laughs> this is a post anyway, we'll talk about Haywire another time um, in the in the the 16 minutes of Haywire that I was able to suffer through I uh, <laughs> I just had to bring that in I, didn't I know you did to I know you did guys a little more um, the, uh, the one thing that I want to say too about about this film is that um, a handful of, of of films in my experience have I, I mean I'm not a general audience I mean I, I do like to critique and, and being a journalism major I do think 
a little differently, I think, than a general audience. Yeah. But, but I think this is one of those rare movies where when I'm watching a movie, I don't think about sound design. I really don't. I don't think about mixing. I don't think about um, about the the little pieces that make the whole. Yeah. You know, I look at performances. I look at the direction, um, you know, art direction in some cases, things like that. But, yeah. But in this movie, I appreciate every little detail mm-hmm. because it's so well done and, and it really you can you take notice of the things because they're so well done yeah you know i mean you're not going to hear me on this podcast talking about sound design a lot <laughs> no let's just put it that way and it's not that i don't respect those people they have a very very crucial job and they're underappreciated but and, and the same goes for the editing of this film it's yeah. absolutely phenomenal and and it's it's one of those rare movies as well where i can watch this movie pretty much any time and i never tire of it I, I hope, never do. I hope we got these points across in the non-spoiler section because I think that's certainly one of the things that would push people to, to you know, watch it. It's just I'm not generally somebody who will notice the sound design of something. The only time that I've noticed the sound design of something is when I was playing Dead Space. Dead Space has some of the most phenomenal sound design in any video sure. game, and but this movie, it, the sound design is extreme. It's very well done. Yeah, it's incredible. It's it's easier for me to look at a movie and say, you know, the the sound that they've put in afterwards doesn't fit correctly. It's much harder to make me watch a movie and say, wow, this... That sounded incredible. It sounds incredible. Like, those planes at the end, I... It's, every yeah. time a plane went by, I was like, oh! Like, it was just... Mm-hmm. You could feel it. And, Absolutely. And it, was, it was very good, so... And then, of course, real quick, the Moby song at the end. <laughs> yes. yes. I absolutely love that song. Yeah. And I, I, there are, I, I love score in movies. I'm a big mm-hmm. fan um, when it's done well. And, and that's one of those, it's not actually a part of the score, yeah. technically, but it is used just the way, the way that they edited the song to fit the scene. It's perfect. I like, that's one of those. It's magic on screen to me. Yeah. Oh, it's certainly, like, it totally outlines them, you know, De Niro is just laying there dead. Al Pacino's holding on his hand and just kind of saying... Standing there, you know. It's just basically just like, as per the conversation earlier with his wife, it's basically just like, my life now is meaningless again. Like what Until I... I find the next person that I yeah. have to... And, and and in his mind too, being the guy who loves the challenge. Yep. Obviously, he enjoys the he, he he loves De Niro because it's like, this is the greatest challenge anyone's ever given me. Now it's over. It's kind of like a Joker Batman kind of. Yeah, thing. there's an emptiness, you know. There's an emptiness that you'd feel, I think, afterwards. Yeah. And, and I don't think he wanted it to go down like that. I I think he pretty much knew it was going to have to at some point. But I don't think he. But wanted it wasn't. It to. Yeah. And that's it. That scene is just one of my favorite film scenes ever. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. And that the that final shot, like the actual final shot, just that with them dead center in the frame. And the lights. Yes. And every just the whole composition of that final shot and it just hangs there for like eight seconds. Mm-hmm. Letting that music swell. And then it cuts to black. And it's a solid like six to at least like six seconds of just black before it finally fades in on Michael Mann film. Like it cuts to black and it hangs there just to leave you with that like final image and that final feeling of just like, wow, it doesn't immediately. And it doesn't change into some, it really, but it really takes me out of the movie a lot. If the, if the song that, 
plays during the credits is not like in keeping with what we, you just saw. Like Absolutely. there's some movies where there's an abrupt shift in tone, and it always takes me totally out of the moment. You got to let that last moment hang out there like a last note of like a symphony. Yeah. Just let it hang, let it ride, let the beat play out. And yep. so many movies are just so guilty of not doing that. And honestly, one of the biggest offenders is Memento, which is like my all-time favorite movie. The movie ends, and then it just launches, and I, and I like the song. It's a David Bowie song that plays right at the end credits, but the way it jumps into it is so jarring, and you just, and the ending of Memento is so good that it, you just want to have that, those few seconds to just let your brain register yeah. what happened, and then just, instead it just jumps into this weird pop song, and you're like, what the, what? what? And it instantly reminds you, oh, you just watched a movie, now it's the credits, time to get up and leave the theater. And... I don't know the the fact that Heat plays that plays through like that is just awesome. It's very disciplined, as you said, very measured. And I um, miss you know so many movies these days have overly animated titles sequences at the end of movies. Sometimes it deserves it and it's cool. Yeah. Like a superhero movie, it's always yeah. kind of cool. But that movie, the way it's just white letters against a black background, it's, it's just, just a scroll. Perfect, yeah. yeah, just perfect, just pure class, like the rest of the movie. And um. Yeah, it's just something about that movie. It feels like, I don't know, it feels like it's from a different time. You know what I mean? You're not going to hear us gush this much. <laughs> not very it's, often. Yeah, it's true. Uh, I this mean, is that pure... often. Especially all three of us. No, it's not going to happen that often. There <laughs> are very is, yeah. few movies that we could review, I think, that we'd all feel this positively about. Yeah. This is raw love, and I'm sure the more Alex sees it, the more you'll you'll get Absolutely. out of it, too. Yeah, Absolutely. I think it's one of those movies where I'm sure I'll... I'll have a hankering to revisit at some point in the you next few months. You have surround sound at your house, too, don't you? Yeah. Dude. So, we better get on that. <laughs> this is like a 7.1 mix of the 7.1 sound system would just be we'll, stupid. We'll do a heat viewing. I like that. In the dead of winter when we need heat. <laughs> yes. Because well, we are the Midwest film industry. <laughs> it gets, it get it cold. gets cold here. Winter is coming. <laughs> yes. The, uh... Yeah, there's so much about it. It's so good. And the more, I mean, like, the more and more everybody learns about movies and watches movies and just absorbs information about it, the more you really get out of a movie of that scale. I mean, there are things... I was texting a friend of mine during the movie about some, some different elements of the of the production and stuff, and he was talking about how that was, like, the pinnacle of, like, film technology and everything's anamorphic for the most part. He said he said something about at a time where the combination of anamorphic lenses and 35mm lens was to emphasize the epic scale of a, of a film. When a movie that big needed an image that big and that wide. And when you watch the movie, there are so many shots that just make so much great use of that anamorphic format, which, I mean, these days, I feel like um, we take a lot of anamorphic for granted, and a lot of times it's it's just, for, just purely for flare use or for... Yeah. It kind of becomes almost Can a standard. Can you talk a little bit about like what anamorphic means? I mean, I don't even necessarily know the best way to put it in words. I mean, an anamorphic lens is a a much more wi- a much wider field of view than any standard spherical lens. And in this movie, there are a couple giveaway moments of where they where they switch to spherical. You see the the flares. If the flares are circular, they're yeah. shooting on spherical. If they're those those lines that shoot straight across the screen, it's it's usually a giveaway that they're shooting on anamorphic. Yeah. Unless it's unless they were flares that were added in post production, which is actually pretty common these days. People yeah. like to shoot flares on like green screen. So it gives you that much broader scope. But yeah, the anamorphic format is used it's much much wider shots. Mm-hmm. And when you watch a movie that's true anamorphic, you can tell. I mean the the shots are usually composed differently. But I think these days it's usually 
it's not sixteen nine. Well, sixteen nine is different from anamorphic. Anamorphic is what two two thirty five to one two or two seven eight. I think is another one. It's something like that. It's more. It's, it's a weird. It's a weirder. Yeah. But uh, so many movies these days are are shot or projected in the two two three five two thirty five to one. Yeah. That that our brain is kind of used to seeing it, and that was one of the number one beefs with me with Avengers was it was sixteen nine, and it threw me through such a loop. <laughs> I was so okay with it. I love sixteen nine. When I was watching the theater, I was just like the whole time going, "This looks wrong," because <laughs> I'm so used to seeing two three five now. So it just really threw me. And I remember thinking it was because I was in a crappy theater the first time I saw it. And then when I saw it again, I was like, "Nope, it's uh, it's just sixteen nine. Sixteen nine is great for in home. Like that's fine for my TV. Yeah. But when I'm in the movie theater, like that." I can't even imagine seeing, seeing it doesn't, heat. It doesn't bother me. It weirded me out to see that Avengers was going to be sixteen nine, but I was okay. With I it. had no idea until I sat down in the theater and I was like, "Ooh." We're talking. I, see, I, didn't, me, I me, didn't feel anything about any sort of difference in the in the film, and that's what I'm talking about. Is I'm not. I don't notice these things. Let me so. let me let me just say, four by three is normal. Was was what most people thought of as normal television. This full almost, screen, almost square. Yeah, full screen DVD is four by three. It's almost a square image. Yeah. Sixteen nine is what you would refer to as a widescreen film, but also two thirty five to one is even like if you have a a widescreen HD HD TV and you're watching a two thirty five to one movie, you will still have black bars on the top and bottom mm-hmm. of it. But there's so. something about that extremely wide, you know, field of view. It's yeah. just so 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 good. All right. And there's some like bigger. I think it really became common back when they were shooting big epics all the time, like yeah. you know, like your Ben Hur's and that kind of thing. Yeah, when they started shooting these larger than life, big scale movies. They, you know, just shot it differently to emphasize that. And it's cool when you see a movie like this, which is big scale. It's epic, but it's small scale in terms of like set pieces yeah. and stuff. But it shows. It just looks so good. That it does. Alrighty. Well, we'll take another quick break here, and then we're going to go right into some Food for Thought, sponsored by Willie Gibbs. Okay, so we're back. Willie's going to pose a question for us. Yes. Now, us guys here at the MFM Podcast, are uh, we're manly men. We are manly men. Yes. I, w- I just want to throw that out there. But even the manliest of men, such as ourselves, sometimes find it hard in a movie when there's something emotional that may happen. It could be something that actually happens in the story emotionally. It could be something that we feel from personal yeah. experience. But, that being said, the moment in a movie, whether it be the first or the most, the strongest feeling of sadness, where you actually felt maybe a tear or two roll down that manly cheek. Alex. You know... This one is it's a little weird because it's not even the first time that I saw the movie that it hit me and it's I it's The Royal Tenenbaums is is the movie that I'm speaking of. I didn't the movie didn't connect with me the first probably two or three times that I saw it. But I finally saw it at the Main Art at midnight one one year. It was probably 2 3 years ago at this point. And uh spoilers for The Royal Tenenbaums, but give me like I don't know. 30 seconds here, you can fast forward. There's a moment at the end where Gene Hackman, uh, Owen Wilson kills uh, Ben Stiller's character's dog by crashing into the building. So Gene Hackman goes and buys the, the fire the fire uh, fighter's dog and brings it to 
um, to Ben to Ben Stiller's character, and Ben Ben Stiller just kind of is like, "Oh, you did that for us," and then he, you know he's petting the dog and whatnot, and then uh, Ben Stiller looks up and he's like, "I've had a rough year, Dad," and then Gene Hackman's just like, "I know you have, Chazzy," and it's just kind of like at that point in my life, and and just the interaction between the two for some reason that was the right combination to strike me at the point where I could start feeling, you know, got misty-eyed at first, and then, you know, right at the delivery, I was like, okay, yeah, and, and there were there were there was a tear, too. A manly, manly tear. A very manly tear. Wes Anderson seems to specialize in those moments. He's he got finds those, those father, father moments that can really... Which tend to hit me pretty yeah. hard. So, Nick... Your manly tears. I got a long list of movies that <laughs> choke me up. Yeah, <laughs> I'm really not that manly, but don't tell anybody. <laughs> <laughs> the one I immediately think of uh, is Batman Begins. And throughout that movie, there's a lot of moments that touch on emotion. Yeah. And especially with childhood. But the one I always, the one point that always gets me, and it happens early in the movie, um, when you see a flashback of Bruce when he's a kid and his dad, uh, Thomas Wayne, who's a doctor, is you see little Bruce sitting sitting with his dad and his dad has his uh, stethoscope that he puts around Bruce's neck, uh, puts puts uh, puts it on his ears and then puts the uh, receptor to his chest so he can hear his heartbeat. Yeah. And at that point, I was I always that always kind of struck me. I was like, wow, because it reminds me of my dad. Because when I was a little kid, my dad was always bringing things back from the hospital where he worked. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that exact same scenario yep. when I was a kid with my dad. And at the end of the movie, when Bruce is walking through the remains of his burned mansion and yeah. he kneels down and dusts off that little casing and he opens it and there's that stethoscope and then it quickly just for that quick second with no audio shows that moment again it always hits me just right there and i feel this twinge because it reminds me of my dad yeah and being a little kid and um the other one the other one i immediately thought of was uh the ending of life aquatic when he finds the shark yeah that moment i remember watching that dvd in my bedroom on my laptop just totally in the dark all by myself and there's this long weird movie with all these weird characters and it goes on this long meandering journey yeah and it finally gets to that point where he finds that shark, and it's such a beautiful, surreal moment with this weird claymation-looking shark and the cigarette song that's playing. Yeah. And they finally come face-to-face, and there's that that slow dolly-in shot of Zisu behind the controls, and everybody in the crew just reaches forward and puts their hand on his shoulder, yeah. and he's, like, fighting back tears. And I just remember sitting in my bed, like, feeling like I, want, I should be sobbing like a baby. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, when he just, like, lets the shark go, and I, I forget the line of dialogue that it is that... Uh, Somebody says something to him. I'll pull it up. But then, it, but then, yeah. While you're doing that, but then it just keeps going because it segues right into them getting back and the little memoriam for Owen Wilson's character at the end. Yeah. And there's that really sad moment, and my my tears kept <laughs> kept on feeling like they were going to come all the kept way through there. up. Yeah, and, until finally it cuts outside to Steve sitting on the on the little on the step, just smoking a cig, and then William Defoe's little nephew comes out and sits down next to him and just yeah. says "ho," and he goes "ho." <laughs> right back and like that at that point i was like god this is intense but it was that that moment with that shark and that scene oh, somebody says something interesting two wes anderson movies you know yeah. like i said wes has it there's those little moments of just real bittersweet sadness that are in they're in every movie well and that's the thing somewhere. is i think i think with his movies in the case of the two that you guys are talking about his movies are so quirky and strange and almost weirdly otherworldly in some ways and then 
but when so when it, it, you get those true moments of humanity in there, it makes it all it the really more powerful. It really stands out. All right, what's the line? He says, uh, Steve says, I wonder if it remembers me. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's... And there's just a weird moment of, of just, yeah. Yeah. The whole summation of the entire journey boils down to that moment, and he just goes, nope. It's not worth it, you know, killing yeah, this other like, creature. Yeah, he's like, I'm not going to kill this thing because, yeah, that's... I love that movie so much. <laughs> the, other, the other movie I quickly jotted down was obviously Heat. Since we reviewed Heat, I don't sure. need to cover it. The, the finale <clears throat> yeah. of Heat definitely uh, always gets to me, that final shot. And then the movie A Mighty Wind, I don't think either of you guys have seen that. I've seen it, but it's been a very long the time. The final scene in that totally gets to me because mm-hmm. it's just this, another another one of those weird movies, the weird band of people, and yet where there's mm-hmm. that moment of true humanity that comes through it at the end really of the movie. It really hits you hard. And the last one I thought of, which it was actually the first one I thought of besides Batman Begins, was uh, at the ending of Inception. Yeah. When they, because when and it, and it's all about timing. Like Alex, what you said when you were going through whatever you were going through, yeah. that moment of ten, with Tenenbaums. What I was going through when Inception came out in theaters. I mean, there's a reason. It's not in my top favorite films of all time because it's a Nolan movie or because it's the action suite. It's because of exactly where I was yep. in my life at the time that movie came out, mm-hmm. and the whole message of that movie that you have to let your your baggage and let your past go, or it's going to kill you, was exactly what I needed to hear at that moment, yeah. and. I remember sitting in the midnight screening of that movie and during the, when DiCaprio finally comes back out of limbo and it wasn't, the reason I got choked up wasn't even so much because of all the, all the stuff that would have been more relevant to what was happening to me at the time, but the magnitude of what had just happened and that this incredibly intense journey had actually pulled it off. And there's that, (laughs) that amazing just pan across the cabin of the, of the plane when everybody's looking at him and that look, Joseph Gordon-Levitt gives him like time kicks in and uh, you did it buddy. And then, yeah, then the soundtrack kicks in and just kind of eases its way in. And then when he's walking through the airport and, uh, just everything from that point on, there's even two line deliveries before that. The one between Killian Murphy and Pete Postlewaite. Oh yeah. You know, he's yep. like I know you're disappointed that I couldn't be you and then he's and then Pete Possilwaith is just like I'm disappointed that you tried. Yeah. And then the one between Mal and uh Cobb when when uh no Cobb is just, he just says something like uh you know I love you more than I can bear, but you know, it's time for me to, I have to let you go. I have to let you go, yeah. yeah. And it's both of those that Those movie was, I, I will always remember my first viewing of that movie because it was a, just a tidal wave of emotion for me. And I remember loving it not only for its technical achievements yeah. and everything it was, but exactly for how precisely it was yep. like no one zeroed the in with a, with a laser right to my heart at the time. Mm-hmm. And there was, it was, it felt like it was made for me. And that's what made that so powerful. And I think even years from now, when, when the, I mean, already the hype from Inception has, has faded down certainly from what it was, yeah. but I will always stand up for that movie and be like, that was. A really important movie for me. All right, Willie. Finally. Um. Yeah. Um. Well, the first couple movies I remember crying to were A. Land Before Time. <laughs> and, oh yeah, we're not counting childhood ones, B, are we? Because <laughs> Homeward Bound. I just wanted. Shiloh, I just wanted to get that out there. Dragonheart. Um. But uh, no, a couple, a couple quick ones. Um. The towards the end of Blade Runner always gets me. Oh yeah. When there, I don't. I'm not gonna say spoilers, yeah. but there is a, a really, really uh, a beautiful death of a character. And an incredible monologue given by that character One of during the death, best monologues, and yeah. it is, it gets me every time. Yeah. Um, another one more recently, and also topical in my own life, is Warrior, with yes. Edgerton and uh, Holy Tom cow. Hardy. Because I, I've always, I always have a rough thing with brothers, because I'm really close to my brother. Yeah. And in that movie, they're they're separated for most of their lives, and I'm just 
learning how to be separated from my brother because he's across the country. It's really weird for me. So like that, yeah. that got me. I mean, it was it's a fantastic film anyway, but that got me. I can't believe I forgot that one. Yeah, the the final, <clears throat> the final kind of yeah uh, emotional, like it, it's. If you haven't seen Warrior, see Warrior. It's so yeah, good. There's it's a, so there's a good. line. All right, we need five seconds of Warrior spoilers here. It's... At the <laughs> in three, two, one. Uh, that final tap out when he's when Edgerton's holding Tom Hardy and he's yes. he's like just tap out and he won't do it. And then he finally says, "I'm sorry, Tommy. I'm sorry. I, I love you." And he says, "I love you." Yeah, and I watched. I was by myself when I watched the movie. And I remember I just had my head cradled. I was like, "Oh my yeah. god, this it's, is so it's intense." It's rough. And and for that matter, when when. Uh, Tom Hardy finally comforts his drunken father, yes. and it played incredibly by, by Nick Nolte. But um, the one that that always gets me, and then the one I think that hits me the hardest for whatever reason, is um, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. <laughs> yeah, I was waiting for you. <laughs> that to was talk a high about five, it. by the way, in case you didn't <laughs> hear that. Um, it's that's my favorite comedy of, of all time. I mean, yeah. it's it's in my top five movies. I I absolutely I love John Hughes, and that is my favorite movie of his. Um. I love that John Candy character so much because he's so endearing, like so incredibly endearing. Like I think we can all hope to be half the awesome human being that he really was, yeah, even though yeah. he was a bumbling goofball. He's like, yeah. anyway. So when when you find out um, about his real past and Steve Martin's realizing it, and this incredible music builds up Dream Academy, Dream Academy, who also. Get a scene. Another scene. They they Ferris do music Bueller. for another scene that always gets me kind of weirdly emotional. Yeah. In Ferris Bueller, the, the museum, museum scene. The museum. Yep. And they do that. They do that beautiful piece of music there, and they they do this. It's the music and the urgency of Steve Martin trying to get back to John Candy, because he realized what's really going on with him. Every single time it gets me, and and from the moment that starts to the very the final shot of the movie, I'm just like. <laughs> Every time I see it, it's it's rough. It's over rough. the over the course of this podcast, there will probably be numerous references to all three of our times together working in the video store. But especially me and Willie, there were a lot of moments where we'd work together and we'd put on certain movies or certain scenes that we wanted to show each other for whatever reason. And I remember putting on the that <laughs> putting on that scene from Planes, Trains towards the end of a night when we were closing, probably like close to midnight, and just the look on Willie's face. Yeah. So like, good. what did you do? <laughs> like, no, I mean, we we were like, yeah, let's totally put it on. And I mean, we didn't watch the whole movie because we couldn't. But um, right. yeah, that scene. It's funny when you find those scenes that really impact people mm-hmm. for whatever reason. Absolutely, absolutely. Alrighty, yeah. well, that segment brought to you by Willie this time, but it could be brought to us by you. So send in your feedback to feedback at midwestfilmnerds. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, and of course, if you've got any questions along these lines. Yeah, like if you Send want if you want to have the food for thought question, it could all be you. If you want to talk about a movie that we recently talked about, anything, just send, send it, it to us. Absolutely. Feedback at midwestfilmers dot com. Uh, other than that, uh, you can find us on Twitter. Uh, links to that will be on the blog midwestfilmers dot com, which you should also check out. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm about to put up my John Carter magnum opus that I wrote back <laughs> in Mar- uh, April. It's a really uh, good read, so... That was another one that... Definitely check it out. Cut to the Carter. core at the end. Yeah, definitely that's, check that's it out. not even the end, in the middle, that moment. Where, oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. Yep. Um, uh-huh. So, <laughs> <laughs> and then Willie, you're going to... You're, Willie's going to have another article up at the end of the the end of the week, too. That, yeah, and, and and another thing, you know, if you have any ideas for kind of the kind of coverage you guys want to see, you know, let us know. Absolutely. I mean, we're, we're all kind of open to doing different things with this. We want to yeah. give you guys what you want too so yep so send any ideas you want try and get in touch with us i'm trying to get like some sort of user 
functionality working on the website. I don't know exactly how to set it up so that it works the way that we want it to yet, but we'll get it going. It'll be up there soon, and I'll let you guys know. As I said earlier, we are in iTunes, so please go subscribe and uh, you know start showing us some numbers. Maybe we can shop it around to some sponsors and things like that. Um, and uh, yeah, so music and art brought to brought to us by my brother at Mr. John on Twitter. There's also a link to that on the uh, on the website. And uh, finally, we gotta apologize out there. We still haven't gotten to Kyle XY this time around. So, you know, next time it's totally gonna happen. We're gonna try. Yeah. We thought we were gonna get to it this time, but yeah, it'll it'll happen. It's gonna happen. All right. I think it's on Netflix, isn't it? I have no clue. But if it is, you should go watch it so that when we cover it. You'll know, know exactly what we're talking about. <laughs> You'll know everything. Oh, we're going to cover the whole series, so you have to watch the whole series. <laughs> all three or four seasons of it. I don't remember exactly. Yes. Is it that long? Well, it might be two. I think it's three. I'm not sure. Anyway, go watch a movie. <laughs> We'll